All right. Happy Sabbath, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Uh, it's good to be with my family with you today. Uh, it may have been easier for them to stay home. I don't know. I think they like to travel with me. Uh, it was about 10-hour drive. Am I too loud? I hear an echo in my ear. It was about a 10-hour drive, and it was on our 27th anniversary, but we had a good time. And uh, as I said last night, we sure appreciate Scott and Hyle's hospitality. I'm honored uh, to be invited to come share the word with you today. I have been preaching the word at the Church of God Seventh Day in Jasper. Anybody been to Jasper or Oktoberfest? Got a few hands. We do our little Oktoberfest out in the woods in Jasper. It's like the total opposite of Houston. Uh, in terms of size. Um, lots of humidity still, so you'd be, you'd be used to that. Um, but I've been there pastoring for about 30 years. The last few years, however, I've had the honor to uh, serve you uh, in a new capacity that's uh, new to me, and that is as the Bible Advocate Editor, the editor of publications for Bible Advocate Press. And before we jump into the Word, I just want to tell you a little bit about that uh, and invite you to be aware of this ministry. Keep it in your prayers. There's a lot of exciting things going on. I received the Bible Advocate, or I saw the Bible Advocate, sitting on my mom and dad's uh, coffee table for years growing up. It was always there. And it's a blessing now at 50 years old to actually be working um, directly with the Bible Advocate. I love Scripture. I love the Bible. I love ministering to people who love the Bible, which is why I titled my sermons um, for last night and today, The Word of Life, because Scripture is God's living Word. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we want to hear it. Um, but People, I don't think, are, are really aware of the extent of the Bible Advocate work. Uh, did you know that the Bible Advocate is one of the oldest ongoing publications of any kind in the United States? It goes all the way back to 1863. Uh, that's a remarkable uh, duration for any magazine, especially today in the digital world. We, uh, we see magazines dropping left and right, but the Bible Advocate has been out there for well over 150 years now, and this little magazine has literally raised up churches in nations like Sierra Leone and Nigeria. Just because someone ran across a copy and read it and got excited about God's Word and began to, to teach. And so it's an amazing work. I, I uh, was doing some research a couple weeks ago for our leadership at the General Conference meeting, and I discovered that uh, while the magazine, the physical magazine, which I see you have copies of out back, uh, it goes to 80 nations. We mail that to 80 nations around the world. Even places like Iran uh, get the Bible Advocate, which is amazing. Uh, but even more exciting, I learned a couple weeks ago researching our website, baonline.org, that last year we had 162 nations People from 162 nations visited our website to learn more about Scripture. So it's such an important work, and I appreciate uh, today, as I, as I open the Word to you, I appreciate your prayers and your support. If you would like to subscribe to the Bible Advocate, come up to me and give me your address. I'll make sure you get one. It's a free publication. It goes all over the world for free. Uh, it is supported by offerings, by donations, by people who just love the work and give to it. So um, get with me if you would like to, to uh, get a copy of the Bible Advocate. Even more so, get with me if you are interested in writing for the Bible Advocate. I'm looking for writers, people with something to say to their generation that's about Scripture, about God's Word for us in our time, what we're going through right now. Uh, in America as, as well as around the world. So there's a lot of opportunity for the Bible Advocate, and I hope that you will think about it and, 
and help support that ministry. Part of the BAP is also the track ministry. I see you have some tracks. Um, and curriculum. We develop curriculum for the littlest kids all the way up to adult Sabbath school quarterlies. Uh, there's a whole bunch in between. So you can use those for church. You can use them for small group. You can use them for family devotion. You can find out more about all of that stuff on our website. And I really invite you to take a look at it. Um, the slogan, I mentioned this last night, the slogan of the Bible advocate is advocating the Bible, as you would think, representing the church and glorifying the God of grace and truth. Today, I hope my words can glorify the God of grace and truth as we look at his word. Do you have your Bibles? Let's lift them up. Let's see them. All right. Probably two or three different translations out there or more. I'm going to be uh, bringing the word to you in the New American Standard. Um, when Frank, I think it was Frankie, it may have been Hiel, when I was first invited, I said, yeah, I think those dates would be great. I'd love to come. And it was a couple weeks later, uh, one, of, one of you, I forget which one, said, do you have an idea on a, on a theme? What, what's the title so we, can, so we can promote it? And I really hadn't thought about it. And I just, off the top of my head, said, the word of life. Let's do that. And uh, last night we began this study on the word of life with the idea of hearing the word. Uh, Brother Frankie said that you're an audience that is hungry and thirsty to hear the Word of God. Amen? I'm hungry and thirsty to hear the Word of God. In fact, it may surprise you that as a, as a preacher, I'm often hearing the Word of God fresh as I'm preaching it. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon, but you prepare for your sermon, but you don't always prepare for what the Spirit gives you as you're up here talking. Um, last night, we looked at part one, and many of you were here, but many of you weren't. And just to review real quickly, we were talking about the first step in this word of life, and that is hearing the word. We talked about uh, 2 Samuel 3, especially, or not 2 Samuel, but 2 Timothy 3, where Paul explains to young Timothy that the spirit enlivens Scripture. Scripture, all of Scripture, it says, is God-breathed. It's God's breath to us. It's God's Word to us. It's, it's not a dead thing. It's not, it's not ink and paper, but God's living Word breathed out to us. And it, te- it says that not only does it give us wisdom unto salvation, but it gives us training in righteousness. And it's interesting how that whole chapter is set in the context of a world that Paul says is perilous and difficult and dark. It says men are lovers of their own selves. They love pleasure more than lovers of God. They have a form of worship, he says, but they deny the power. And it's in this context that young Timothy is being told that the word of God is alive, it's active, and it's training him. But we have to hear it. We have to hear it. And we looked at the story of Abraham in order to get a better idea of what this hearing of the word is like. And we looked at the story of Abraham and how the Lord coming to him and speaking to him, it brought forth faith in Abraham, faith in what God alone could do in his life. And this is, this is just fundamental, basic information, I think, that every Christian ought to know. At least we ought to be reminded of it, because the way the world is it has a powerful impact on us. It has the culture of love of self, has a way of diluting, almost like an acid. It, it corrodes our faith. It's why with Hael and others who are praying for the youth, I'm so concerned about our young people because of the power that the culture has to corrode our faith. And so we have to go back to it and listen again and again and again. But listening is just the first step, and that brings us to today's study. What comes after listening to the word of life? Following. Anybody have another word? Believing. 
Anybody have another word? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So believing, definitely. But once we have believed, where are we going from there? Peter says an interesting thing. He says that we have been born again, not of incorruptible seed, but of what? Or not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the living, enduring word of God that is is everlasting. So we've been born again. I like this idea of a newborn baby. I see little ones out here. That's, that's that faith, isn't it? That's that fundamental belief that has brought forth something through the word of life in us. But what are we growing up into? We're growing up into something, right? The second title of, the, of my sermon series today is, is the word of life and becoming the word. Becoming. We're growing up into the life of Christ. Are we ready for that? Are we on our way? I think every one of us are on our way to that. Let's look at uh, a great chapter that talks about this becoming. John 1. Turn to John, the first chapter. I bet who can quote John 1 1 just from memory without even looking? Anybody? And I, I must have a shy audience. John 1.1. 1, 1. Say it, brother. Amen. Thank you. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And what does John tell us happened to this Word? You know, this is the Word before this, right? Before there was a Bible breathed out for us so that the revelation of God could be ours at any time we needed it. That word was the living God. And what does John say became of that word? It became flesh. Let's look at that. After creating the worlds, um, it says in... Let's look at... uh, Verse 10, this word, it says, He was in the word, the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This word, I think about this, this word came to his own. Who are we talking about here? The Jews came came to Israel, right? And did they recognize him? Most of them didn't. Most of them didn't. But to those who did, what does it say? He gave the power to become children of God. Is that something you're interested in? Now, if the rabbi had said that very same line to the Israelites of his time, do you think they would have said the same thing? I ask that to challenge you with this. What if Jesus were to walk in the back door? Would you recognize him? Would you know him any more than Israel did? It says they knew him not. Why didn't they know him? They had the word. They were raised in the word. But it says they didn't recognize him. And that, that, rather than just saying, oh, those Jews back then, let's put ourselves in this position. If he was to walk into the room, if the word of God, who was with God and was God, was to walk into this room today in the humility that he came 2,000 years ago, would the church today recognize their God? Would I? I can only, from my position right now, with my understanding right now, I can only hope and pray that I would be among those who would have said yes I want to become a child of God. Verse 14 continues it and says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw him, 
We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember our slogan? That the Bible Advocate Press, our ministry is to to advocate the Bible, to represent the church, and to glorify the God of grace and truth. Well, there's where we get this from this verse right here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized. Notice, I like this word realized. Realized by Jesus Christ. In other words, he brought them to life. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. King James says he has declared him. He has revealed him. Brothers and sisters, the heart of my message today is that listening to the word, which we enjoy every Sabbath together, We're a church that prides ourselves in preaching the word and hearing the word. And hopefully at home and among our family and maybe even in our jobs and our schools, we're hearing the word. We're reading the word. We're trying to soak it in in whatever context we find ourselves in. But that hearing has to become living. Just as the Word became flesh, this, Jesus preceded this, and after it was given, at least Genesis through Malachi, He brought it to life. And it's just a terrible, tragic irony that when He brought the Word to life, the very people that were the closest to the Word didn't even recognize Him. Not only did they not recognize Him, they clamored for His crucifixion, for His death. I say all this today to humble us, to humble myself. Because on the one hand, I see that becoming a son of God, which Jesus has given us power to be if we believe on him, this becoming children of God means that we're becoming like our father, right? The son, the children carry the likeness of their parent. At the same time, I'm reminded that when Jesus did this the first time, he wasn't recognized. And this goes back to the point we were talking about last night with 2 Timothy, that we have a world that loves itself, a world that puts itself above all others, and that can sneak into our lives. And we can talk about the Bible, and we can hear the Bible, but unless that really takes root and grows in us and we begin to to mature in it, will we be different than Israel was? I believe I'm in a room of brothers and sisters who have heard the word and have said, yes, Lord, I believe and I want to be your child. I want to be grown up. I want to be that living word to the world. Did you notice how it says here towards the end that that, uh, no one has seen God at any time? Only Christ, who's in the presence of God, has seen God, and, and He came to earth and declared Him. In other words, the word became visible. Do you know that it's still the same? God and Christ, too, is invisible, isn't He? The only Jesus the world is going to see is where? Here? Here? Here. 
The only Jesus. And this is the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is to cultivate people who don't just hear the word on Sabbath, but go forth and become the word that people can see. I love the Bible. You know, I can't even tell you how many Bibles I have in my home. I have, I see a Bible, I like, I love it, and I buy it. I buy Bibles for everywhere I go. I just love the Bible. But the truth is, all of those Bibles are useless to me and the world if I don't become it, right? That is what growing up, being born again of this incorruptible, eternal, living word is all about. It's to make it alive. It's to bring it to life. John says another thing here that's going back to this idea of grace and truth. He says, he says Moses gave the law, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John here is echoing, it's, it's often overlooked, but this whole idea of glory, this, this revealed glory, this seen glory. First uh, John, when John is thinking about it later on, he says, you know, this word of life, it, 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 it walked among us. We, we saw it, we heard it, we, we touched Jesus, the living word of life. And he says, that word we proclaim to you. The story echoes a story from the Old Testament. And like I did last night, I love, I love drawing the Old Testament and the New Testament together and showing how they're related. So we're going to go back. Last night we looked at, at the story of Abraham. Tonight we're going to look at a story in Moses. So jump in your Bibles with me to Exodus 33. We're going to transport back in time. We want to make sure we put ourselves in the story, right? I mentioned this last night. Close your eyes if you need to. Reorient yourselves. We've got to put ourselves into the story so that we draw the conclusions that we need to. This, the law was given by grace and truth, but, or the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The God of grace and truth is who gave the law. And I want to show you an interesting story about this, and it's a story about becoming. It's a story about revealing that hints at what is to come in the church, or at least what the church ought to be. Uh, the brother, I haven't met him yet, but he was up here earlier, uh, opening service. He quoted Exodus 20, verse 7. Remember the Sabbath. That's why we're here. Remember the Sabbath. That's part of what? The Ten Commandments. So Israel has been brought out of Egypt. We're going to uh, Exodus 33, but let's back up a minute. Israel's been brought out of Egypt. They've been rescued by God's grace. They trusted Moses. Okay, we're going to follow you out of here. They cross the Red Sea. They wander in the desert. They receive manna day by day, and then they come to Mount Sinai, don't they? And it's out Mount Sinai that God thunders and speaks the Ten Commandments, right? Who can name them? Anybody know them? Can you name the ten? Do you know when they go around and do surveys of kids from youth groups? I don't know. You're surely high all your youth groups not like this. But when they go around and ask youth groups, uh, uh, tell me, youngster, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? Do you know how often that kids can't name any? Kids, give me a Ten Commandment. Obey your mother and father. I like that. That's the first one to come up. There's a little guy right there. Who? You got your hand up? Don't steal. Very good. What's another one? Do not commit adultery. Very good. We got three knocked off just like that. These, these, we know our Bibles. Now, Israel was given these, these commandments that reflect God's own character, right? They set off from the mountain and obeyed those commandments, didn't they? Or did they? What's the very first thing they do? We know that Moses, at this point, actually goes up into the mountain and the words that were spoken to Israel, he actually gets two tables of stone that God writes those on stone, right? We know the story. 
And while he's up there in God's presence, what's Israel doing down there? Are they huddled up there thinking, brothers and sisters, how can we put this, this thing we've just heard into action? Let's form a committee so we can make sure that we bring this word to life, that we obey it. Is that what they did? What's the first thing they did? They made a graven image. You know, we hear the word of God, but then we go out into the world and we're thinking, I need to sort of translate this. I need to sort of put this in a way that, that uh, makes sense. And next thing you know, we've distorted. It's interesting, they make this calf and they call it Yahweh. This is the God that brought you up out of Egypt. In some weird way, they have figured out that they're convinced that they're not breaking the first commandment. Because this is our God. It's not another God. But he said not to make graven images. How do they get around that? Did they forget? Did they hear and forget that fast? Remember, Moses has been up on the mountain. This shows us how the people of God can be. Again, we can say, oh, those silly Israelites. They hear the word and don't do them. What does James say? Don't be a hearer of the word only, but a hearer and a doer. James knows this story. He knows that you can hear and say, amen, I believe, and then walk out the door and do the opposite. And this is exactly why, if Jesus was to walk in the door, we have to ask ourselves, would we recognize Jesus as the word of life in the flesh or will we find him an interruption to the way we want to live? Moses comes down from, there's a clamor going on. Moses comes down, he's furious. What happens to the Ten Commandments? They're shattered. He throws them down. He throws them down. This people is not interested in doing They heard, but they didn't do. And this is the problem with the law, as the law is always. It's good at pointing out sin, but it's not good at helping you keep it. But there's another story that follows. Moses goes back up into the mountain. And Moses is of a different kind. I like to think that we're more like Moses than those folks down below that are busy making idols, I'd like to think we're more like Moses. You know, Moses goes back up to the mountain, dejected. God is is thinking about just wiping them all out, moving on, leaving them behind. And Moses says an amazing thing in chapter 33. He says in verse 13, Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your way that I may know you. You see that? Let me know your way that I may know you. Well, Israel is wandering away from God. And, of course, Moses actually intercedes for Israel. He brings reconciliation There is a judgment that occurs. God restores the Ten Commandments to him again. But where Moses is at is Moses is saying, God, I want to know you. I, me, Jason, (laughs) I'm not talking for Moses now. I would like to ask who you want to know. Because I don't think this statement was on the lips of the people that were making the idol dancing around it, having the party around it. I don't think that was what was on their mind. On Moses' mind is, I want to know you. Earlier in Sabbath school, brother, I think it was Barry mentioned, that really what it comes down to is, what does your heart love? Is that what you said, Barry? What it comes down to is, what do, you, what do you love? Because this is something I know. You will become what you love. 
You will become what you love. We're going to grow up into something. And the thing you're going to grow up to be is the thing you love. If you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're going to grow up into Him because He's going to make sure of it. But if you love the world, you're going to grow up into the world. And this is the, this is the reality that's impacting Israel in this moment. It's a question of who do you love? One of my favorite, in fact, it's probably my favorite verse in the Bible is Psalms 27, 4, where David says, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to inquire of the beauty of the Lord and, and to inquire of his temp, in his temple. Someone earlier said that we want to be here today. We could be in a lot of other places, but we want to be here. And why do we want to be here with brothers and sisters? Because we love the Lord. We want to know the Lord. Amen? Amen. We want to know the Lord who created us, the Lord who redeemed us. And we want to know Him because we want to be like Him. In fact, the more we become like Him, the more we know Him. Paul says that I may know Him even as I am known. That's, that's my heart's desire. What's your heart's desire? What do you desire more than anything else? What do you love? Because what you love is what you will become. Just a few verses later, Moses is continuing to have this conversation with God. He's really pressing him. And in verse 18, he says, Moses said, I pray you, Lord, Show me your glory. Or, okay, I want to know you. I want to see you. Anybody want to see God? I want to see God. I want to experience Him. And this is where Moses is at. I want to, I want to see your glory. It's interesting what he says in, re, in reply. God says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord. I was thinking about this as we were singing the song. It's the naming of the name of the Lord. Yahweh, the, the personal name of the Lord, which is, Jesus, is who Jesus is, made flesh. He's that personal God made personal for us. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall you not see. So I'm going to give you a glimpse. I'm going to let you see the back of me. As I'm passing, but I'm not going to let you see the front of me, my face. And so Moses goes into the mountain, into this place of the rock, and, and it says, if we go follow on into the next chapter, looking at verse 5, it says, And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. It's interesting that when God passes by, He speaks. He speaks who He is. And the two words that really jump out at me, He gives this list of who He is, but it's this last part, abounding in and the, and the New American Standard here translates it, loving kindness and truth. If you're familiar with the King James, the King James will often say mercy and truth. You, you run across it all the times, especially in the psalm, mercy and truth. Uh, for the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures forever, right? These, these two things about God are paired. These are the same words that John uses when he says that Jesus is, is the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus is the fullness of mercy and truth, the loving kindness of God and the truthfulness of God all brought together into Jesus, who the whole world can see, who the whole world saw. Some believed and some didn't. Moses has this experience. And 
What an experience it was. What happens when Moses comes down off the mountain? Anybody remember? He's shining, isn't he? The glory of God, being in the presence of God, literally made Moses shine. It says at the end of the chapter, um, or closer to the end of the chapter, verse 29, and it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hands. As he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with God. So when Aaron and the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil until he came out, take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what had been commanded, they didn't want to see this glory. So he covered himself up when he talked to them. And when he went back into the temple to talk to the Lord, he took the veil off. Jump with me to 2 Corinthians. I want to show you a parallel, a beautiful parallel to this. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. What we see is a beautiful illustration that Moses was being changed in the presence of God, wasn't he? He was being changed. He was being transformed. And this glory actually had a physical manifestation on him. Paul picks up this analogy, if you will. I believe that when the grace and truth of God, the more we are exposed to the grace and truth of God, the more that we're in the presence of Jesus, the more that we're in the presence of his word, the more it begins to transform our lives by the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's just not that we're hearing, but we're becoming the Word of God as we are in its presence. Paul is talking to the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. What's he saying here? He says, do I need to come with some sort of a letter of authentic, uh, authenticity, proving who I am or who my ministry is? He says, you are our epistle. You believing, living Christians. You're a living, walking, talking book of the Bible. Are you that? Are you... A letter written in the heart, known and read of all men. Are you that? He's describing the Word made flesh, isn't he? He's describing the Bible come to life. He goes on to say that his sufficiency, our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of Christ. He says, no wonder I'm not finding it. I'm reading chapter 2, verse 4, or verse 3. This letter written on the hearts, known and read of all men, is manifested that you are a letter of Christ. You are a letter of Christ. cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Here we're going to see a distinction between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Not like then, those people who heard the word of the law, but didn't do it and disobeyed, 
but a people who it's not even about obeying, it's, they are it. They are that law written on the hearts. They've become this word. And it's seen. My, my question is, is, brothers and sisters, what a wonderful Sabbath we're having. When we walk out the door, what will the world see? Will they see this word in you? Will they see this Jesus? Towards the end of the chapter, he, Paul actually talks about this veil. He says, We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. In other words, for them, they can't even read the Old Testament and understand because it's veiled to them. For us, the veil is removed. We see the old, the new, all of it as a testimony to who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ come in the flesh. And he says, but whoever... But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I love this. Just as Moses turned to Yahweh and took the veil off in the temple, when we turn to Jesus, the veil comes off and we are in the Lord's presence. And we see him as he sees us. And what's happening to us? Are we being changed like Moses was changed? It says... Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We're being, we're, we, we turn to the Lord, the veil is lifted, we see God in Christ, and this encounter... Constant encounter is transforming us. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, shortly after, he says, you're the light of the world. Where do you think we get that glow? Where do you think we get that light? By being in his presence, right? By being transformed by him. This story of Moses and, and his glowing skin, it captivated me as a kid. I remember just being a little boy and mom reading me Bible stories. And I remember this one especially just captivated me. I remember as a small kid thinking, I want to know God like that. And I hope our children, as they're encountering these stories they're thinking, I want to know God like that. I want to encounter Jesus like that. I want to be and reflect that grace and truth that is God. Because it's not enough for us just to hand somebody a Bible out there. It has to be lived. It has to be proclaimed, right? And that is what we're all about. I want to close in Philippians. If you'll turn there with me, Philippians 3, we'll end here and, and with a story. I, I tell you that I love this little story of Moses glowing as a child. It wasn't until I began to study the Bible that I discovered 2 Corinthians 3 and this relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And So much of the beauty and the mystery of God's truth and His grace in our lives. And it was brought, the whole story, this whole sermon, in a way, was brought to my remembrance. And I shared this story at Ministerial Council last year. Were any of you at Ministerial Council, brother? So I don't think any of you have heard this. I shared this story then. I was preaching a sermon not too dissimilar from this one. As you're turning with me to Philippians 3, 
give me just a moment to tell you this story because it has such an impact on me. It's still impacting me. And it's really about this when hearing leads to becoming and how we have to be ready for it in the day-to-day of our lives. The story is basically just this time last year, my wife and I were taking the kids to a nearby city to be involved in an overnight uh, youth function. And it was getting late. We dropped them off. It was a Saturday night. It was getting uh, dark. We left and we checked into a hotel room nearby. We were just staying close by to pick them up the next morning. And uh, well, my wife decided that before we go get a good bite to eat and kind of celebrate our anniversary, we, uh, she wanted to go to Sam's. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. The largest store on the face of the earth. And your wife wants to take you there. And all you want is a big juicy steak, right? So already I'm a little agitated. And, but, you know, the wife gets her way. We go to Sam's. And I go ahead and go on in with her. And she knows anytime we go to Walmart or anywhere, pretty much, I'll find you at the books. She does all the shopping, and I stay and wait for her at the books. And while I was at the books, I saw a little storybook. It was a Christian storybook. It was called, I Will Follow Jesus. Next time you're in, Sam, see if you see a copy of it. And I love storybooks. I love Bible storybooks. I collect them. We, we buy them. And so, anyway, I, my spirit's lifting a little bit. I found a $12 storybook, I Will Follow Jesus. It had, some pre, it had covered from Genesis to, to the resurrection, uh, not a lot of Christmas stuff in it. The, the things I'm looking for, it was really nice. And so Stephanie comes back around, and, and she picks me up, and, and I said, hey, I found this really neat storybook. I said, let's get it. And she's like, honey, the kids are 14 years old. What do we need another? Well, there's always room for one more. We'll give it to somebody. So we went ahead and bought it. And off we went looking for a restaurant. Well, by now, it's almost 9 o'clock at night. And uh, we pull into this one restaurant. I'm sorry, we're closed. We pull into another. We are, we've run out of food. Uh, I mean, it was just, and I'm starting to get cranky again. And th- that we're, what we were talking about in class, uh, that flesh versus the spirit is kicking in. And I'm like, let's just go get a burrito supreme and go back to the hotel. I'm, forget it, you know. And Stephanie's pressing on. No, we're going we're gonna to find a steak. This is our anniversary. We're going to find a steak. So we ended up downtown at this, uh, well, honestly, it was the only place left open, and it was basically a club, kind of a bar, club, hot spot with the kids. It was dark, and there was strobe lights going, and music was so deafening that you couldn't hear anything. And then kids, you know, I don't know, drinking eggs, kids. What is that? 21 to 25, just all over the place. And I'm like, do you have steaks? <laughs> are you, are you going to be open? Yeah, we're open for a long time. We have great steaks. Come, steaks. Come on in. So Steph and I, you know, this is not probably the best place for a pastor and his wife on a Saturday night. Um, but we were bound and determined to have a steak and celebrate our anniversary. So we get the very furthest table from the action, back in a dark corner. And we order our steaks. And the young waitress that comes up to us, mid-twenties maybe, real sweet. Right off the bat, I knew she was going to be a good waitress. Just took interest in you, looked you in the eye. How are you? Welcome. What can I get you? Um, She looked like a a little worldly teenage girl, mid-twenties, just hair crazy, different colors tattoos and piercings and all kinds of stuff, and, uh, but I liked her right off the bat, and uh, so she's serving us, and, and, and we're talking and trying to hear each other over the, over the din of the crowd, and she comes up to us all of a sudden at dessert time, and she stops, and she just looks down at us, and she says, can I ask you a personal question? 
And we're like, well, sure. Her name was Tori. Keep Sister Tori in your prayers. Her name was Tori. And she says, can I ask you a personal question? And Stephanie and I, we're like, sure. What, what is it? She's like, why didn't you order bacon bits on your baked potatoes? And I thought, what a strange question. I said, why didn't we order bacon bits? She says, she says I, I figured you can't be vegetarian because you ordered steaks. And she says, and I figure it can't be allergies because what are the odds of both of you? And she says, it's just been bugging me all evening. Why don't you have, why didn't you order bacon bits? Well, I said, well, actually, we're Christian and we believe in the Bible and the Bible talks about the kinds of foods you should eat and the kinds of foods you shouldn't. And we don't eat pork. And she actually pulled up a chair and sat down, and we started talking to her about Jesus. She's a single mom. She was raised in the faith, but knows nothing, knew nothing of it and left the faith. She was immediately concerned. She says, well, do you be- what do you believe about the G, the LGBT? movement. And I began to share with her how we were all sinners, my wife, back and forth, how we're all created in God's image, but we're all sinners, everybody. But God has made a way for us through his son. And it was just amazing. In fact, the table next to us pats her on the shoulder and she's they're like, can we get our check here we are trying, having a Bible study with this waitress. And she's, and she's struggling because she'd left her faith, but she'd been being convicted because she's got a three-year-old named Evan? Evan, I think. And she felt like maybe he should have the choice about serving Jesus. And, I, and it was funny because she asked me, she said... Um, shouldn't he have a choice? And I said, well, he's three years old. I said, I think it's your choice that's significant right now because your choice is going to impact his life. And I tell you this story, it, it, it was so strange because by the time we were done, it occurred to me that I had just bought a book that she needed. And I said, you know, Tori, I said, this night has just been weird. I, I can't tell you how it is that we came to be here talking to you tonight. And why it is that you would just happen to notice that we didn't eat bacon bits. <laughs> but I have a feeling that God is working here for your sake. And I have a little book out in the car that I'd like to give to your son that you two can read together. I gave... Steph and I signed the book, and I gave her the address of a pastor friend in that city, and we left. And I'll probably never see Tori again. But I tell you the story because the world's watching you. You're glowing in ways that you don't even realize. And we have such an opportunity if we'll think about it. I left, by the time we got in the car, I was, I was practically in tears. I felt ashamed on the one hand because I had been such a, a bad husband and a cranky husband getting to this point. I said, here's the grace of God. Here's the grace and truth of God working even in a man who's cranky because he hasn't got his stay. And God was actually doing something of eternal value in this whole thing despite the fact that I really wasn't glowing as good as I could have been. And yet, God used my wife and I in just a very small little way through very unusual circumstances that I can only say was the Holy Spirit at work. But it goes to this idea that we're becoming something. And when I mean becoming something, it means that we're hearing the word today, but 
In a few minutes, we're walking out the door and it's about proclaiming it. And I don't mean necessarily standing on the street corner and saying, the end is near, the end is near. I mean living in such a way that people must ask, what are you doing and why are you doing it? That our lives beg the question, why are you the way you are? And in those moments, we are able to be the word, to be the epistle written and read by men. Let's close in Philippians 3. What does Paul say? He says something very similar to what Moses said. He lays out his credentials. I was circumcised the eighth day, verse 5. I was of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. But whatsoever things were gained to me, those things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Moses says, I want to know you. I want to see you. Paul's saying the same thing. I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, he says, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I've heard, I've believed that now I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, that little moment in that unlikely place was a little resurrection moment. Nothing I could have planned and nothing I am worthy of of myself. And I have a feeling that every one of you, a brother came up to me last night, he's having a moment like this where he works. People are watching and of every stripe they're watching you. Are you the grace and truth of God to them? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's stand. In the tradition of the Jasper Church, I'm going to ask you all to grab the hand next to you, grab across the aisle and Let's link up hand in hand. I don't know the uh, Neil's going to come up and play some music. We're going to have a closing prayer, and I'll let Neil close however he would like the service. Last night we talked about hearing the word. Today we talked about becoming, and that's the challenge that I place upon myself because it's the challenge of God's word, not just to hear but to do, not just to listen and believe, but to truly become the word, the grace and truth of God, the grace and truth that is in our Lord Jesus to the world around us, to everyone that's watching. Are you up for that challenge? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you so much for this Sabbath. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name. Father, I thank you for this little congregation in this big, big city. And I know that you can do wonderful, miraculous things through it. Father, I pray that your spirit would be on them, that they would be filled up with the grace and truth of your son, Jesus, who is your glory, fully. And he invites us he invites us to believe and to become through him. Father, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us when our natures take us off course. And we thank you for your grace that brings us back in. We thank you for your truth that defines that road that we're going on. 
that we're not just wandering, we're not making up things as we go, but we're following your word as you have shown it to us. Help us to walk these paths of righteousness, Father, in the grace that you have given us. And let us never, Father, be a people that grasps onto this grace only for ourselves. but that we hold it close and are eager to share it with all we come in contact with. Forgive us, Lord. Restore us. Make us the people you would have us to be. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.